right now. Lord, I pray that you would do a powerful, heart-changing, life-changing work in each of our hearts through your word. Your word is living and active, more powerful than a two-edged sword. And so I ask that you would unleash the power of your word by the Holy Spirit in our hearts today, that we would see you more clearly and understand more of your plan and will for us and see your mercy more clearly towards us in Jesus Christ. And help me, Lord, to be clear and give me the right heart and do a mighty work now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. As Jan and I were planning our move here to Abu Dhabi from California a few months ago, we scheduled a company to come to our home, and they would you know, put our furniture and the boxes we packed into a shipping container and then put it on a boat, and, and it would make its way over here. And so we scheduled what day they'd be coming, and we started to work, sorting, organizing, packing, working, working, working. And the, and the days were going along, and we had our eye on the calendar, and it looked like we'd, we'd be pretty close to making it if we just kept working really, really hard. And then I got a phone call from the moving company. And they said, Mr. Fuller, we are very, very sorry. We've had a problem with our scheduling. And we need to move your date up by about a, a week, I think it was. And I said, I, I am so sorry, but that is impossible. That's just not going to happen. Uh, no. They said, we are very sorry, Mr. Fuller. <laughs> it, it's out of our hands. So we wanted to come. So we said, okay. okay. So we moved the date up. I went and told Jan about our new date. We looked at the calendar, and my heart just started to fill with fear and anxiety and stress and downright panic. Now, in the overall scheme of things, that's a relatively small trial. I'll grant that. But for me, at that moment, it was big. It was very, very big. And Peter, in this passage, really through the whole book, but as he wraps up this letter, which we're finishing this morning, he writes this letter to followers of Jesus who are going through trials and who are going through suffering. Now, the specific trials and suffering they were going through was persecution. People were persecuting them because of their witness. But what Peter says in this letter applies to every believer with every kind of trial or suffering we will ever face. And so as Peter writes this letter, he wants his readers and us this morning to understand where is God when trials come? He wants us to understand what is Satan doing when trials come? And he wants us to understand how should we respond when trials come? And I'm praying that that God will use this passage powerfully in our hearts today. I would guess that some of you are going through much more severe trials than we went through having to rush the packing job. By the way, it all worked out. We got here. Our stuff got here. But I would imagine that some of you are going through heartbreaking trials, severe 
trials. Trials that make you feel like you are absolutely at the end and you don't know if you're going to be able to continue. Maybe it's health issues or significant financial pressures. Maybe it's pain in your marriage or wayward children, difficult bosses, whatever it might be. Peter has an important, encouraging, hope-giving word for us in this passage. So let's look at what he says, starting with verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So Peter urges us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hands. Now that is something we should do all the time, right? But I think that Peter is especially calling us to do that at times of suffering and trial. And the reason I say that is because that's been his theme ever since chapter 4. Last paragraph of chapter 4, he's talking about suffering. Then the beginning of chapter 5, he says, here's how the church needs to hang together during times of suffering so you can encourage each other, loving elders, the rest of you being humble towards each other and towards the elders, so the church needs to hang together during times of suffering. And we can see that he's continuing the theme of suffering because he uses the word suffering in both verse 9 and the verse 10. You can see that there. So the theme of suffering is going through this whole passage. So here in verse 6, he's especially calling us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand at times of suffering. So let's raise that as our first question. What would it mean to humble ourselves before God as we suffer? And notice that in verse 6, he especially emphasizes humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Read verse 6 again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, what does God's mighty hand have to do with our suffering? Everything. The Bible teaches clearly that every trial that comes our way is allowed to come to us from God's almighty hand. Our trials and our sufferings are ultimately allowed by God from his mighty hand. Now, Even though they're allowed into our lives from God's mighty hand, we should still pray and ask for God's mighty hand to remove those trials. We should pray, Lord, heal me. Lord, change this person's heart. Lord, provide for us. We're in trouble here. So when trials are allowed by God's hand, that doesn't mean we just sit back and receive them. We should pray and say, God, please remove them. And very often, he will. The trial will go. But there are times where God chooses in his love and his wisdom and his care. There's times when God chooses to allow the trial to stay. So what we should do when a trial comes, we recognize God has allowed this. We should pray, Father, please remove this. We ask you in Jesus' name. And then if he chooses not to remove it, we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Is my job insecure? Yes, Lord. Is it malignant? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's how we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. 
And that's how Job responded to his trial. David read that so powerfully for us this morning. You remember the story of Job. And one day, Job lost all of his oxen, all of his donkeys, all of his sheep, all of his camels, all of his servants, and all of his children. And his response was, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, Job is saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, it's not easy to respond that way. I'll be the first to admit. Okay, this does not come automatically to Christians. Right? This is hard. And one of the reasons it's so hard is because this is not how we responded to trials before God saved us. Remember how we used to respond to trials before God saved us? Before we were saved, we did not see God's mighty, loving, wise hand as allowing those trials to come into our lives. And so when trials came, we we grumbled about them. Why does that have to happen? We were angry about them. We complained about them. Right? But see, when Jesus saved us, we now see that we are completely forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And we see that because of Jesus, his blood and righteousness, God, even though we've been sinful, God can rejoice over us to do us good with all his heart and all his soul. And so he is constantly, passionately, delightedly doing us good, even at those times when he allows trials to come our way. As Peter has taught earlier in this book, every trial is a gift from God, at least of more joy in him forever. And so it's right for us to say, yes, Lord, because we've been forgiven. God's for us. We don't understand it, but we know this is a gift from God. And so we say, yes, Lord. That's what Peter's calling us to do. Now, Peter knows we need help to do this, and so look at the encouragement he gives at the second half of verse 6. Let's read the whole verse. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, second coming, end of history, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Okay, so trials are coming now. Difficulties are coming now. You're being humbled now. And we we say, yes, Lord, because we know that if we say, yes, Lord, by faith in Christ, at the second coming, God's going to exalt us even more. We'll have even more joy, even more pleasure, even more closeness with him forever. Because we've, by his grace, been faithful to say, yes, Lord, to the trials to come. So that's what Peter is calling us to do in verse 6. Very encouraging. So that, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now, there's one problem, though, that can keep us from saying, yes, Lord, to trials. And Peter knows what that is, because he's been there. He understands trials. And the problem is that every trial, every bit of suffering, creates problems. And problems create anxiety in us. And so we're worried about this, we're worried about this, we're worried about this. And that keeps us from saying, yes, Lord, because we're thinking, yeah, but what about this, what about this, what about this? And so let's ask this next question, because Peter addresses that issue in verse 7. So what about all the problems suffering brings? And look at what Peter says. Let's read verses 6 and 7 together to get his flow of thought. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. 
So when the movers called and said, we've got to move the date up by a week, the reason it was hard for me to say, yes, Lord, was because that change of date created all kinds of problems. Like, how are we going to get it all done? And what if we don't get it all packed and done by the time they come? And what if we have to leave important stuff behind? And how are we going to live for a couple of weeks with all of our stuff on a boat? And we're left in San Jose. So all these problems were created by the change of dates. And so problems create anxiety. I was worried. I was anxious, which made it hard to say, yes, Lord. And that's what you're experiencing, those of you who are going through trials and suffering. Your trial, your suffering, is spinning off all kinds of problems. And you're looking at all these problems, and, and you're anxious, and you're worried. And how can you say, yes, Lord, well, there's this, and well, what about that? What about that? Peter understands this. And so in verse 7, he tells us exactly what to do. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, what does that mean? How do you cast your anxieties on the Lord? My problem is I've got the anxiety, and here's the Lord, and I'm trying to get it off of me, but it's just sticking to me. You know, oh my goodness. Let me pick up my Bible. Okay. I'll put it over here. So I want to cast my anxieties upon the Lord, but I can't get them out of my heart. They're in my heart. So how do you, it it sounds easy. Oh, cast your anxieties upon the Lord. There they go. They're done. I'm not worried anymore. It's not quite that easy. So how do we cast our anxieties upon the Lord? What we should do is list every problem that the trial, the suffering is creating, get really specific. How are we going to get everything done? What if we don't get everything packed? What if we have to leave stuff behind? How are we going to live with all of our stuff on the container? List every problem and then pray. Bring every problem before the Lord. This is what I wish I would have done with Jan after we get that phone call. Sit down. Let's pray about every problem. And so you pray about every one. Father, how are we going to get everything done? I know you care about us. And you know that we need to get everything done. And you care, and this is from your mighty hand. Help me to trust you. And what about this? And, and you care, about, care for us about this. And how about this? You care for us about this. And as you pray through each problem, giving it to the Lord, asking for his help, recognizing that he cares for you, recognizing that he can take care of it, peace will come into your heart. Your, your anxieties will be cast upon him. That's what will happen. Now, it's crucial that we do this because, as Peter goes on to explain, anxieties are spiritually extremely serious. Anxiety is no light matter. We can say, well, everybody gets anxious. Well, that's true. But it's always serious spiritually. Why is anxiety so serious? Let's raise that question and look what Peter says in verse 8. Here's why that anxiety is so serious. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's why anxiety is so serious. It's because Satan wants to use anxiety to devour you, devour your spiritual life, 
to devour your faith. Anxiety is very serious. Satan's like a prowling lion, prowling, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And one of the ways he seeks to devour us spiritually is through anxiety. One of the reasons I can be so sure that's what Peter's saying is remember the parable of the four soils? Remember the third soil that received the seed? The thorny soil was the third soil. And one of the thorns that grew up and choked the life out of that seed, that the seed sprouted a little bit of life, but one of the thorns that choked the life out of that little seedling was the cares of this world. That word cares is the exact same Greek word in this passage. Here translated anxieties. Anxieties choked the spiritual life out of that little seedling and killed it. Satan's prowling like a roaring lion. And one of the ways he wants to devour us is through anxieties. So anxieties are extremely serious. We are in serious spiritual danger when we feel anxiety starting to rise in our heart. It's a thorn. It's a big thorn. It's a grappling strong thorn that can squeeze the spiritual life out of us. So anxiety is no light matter. That's why Peter says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. So we should be alert when we see anxiety in our hearts. Whoa! Danger! Full alert, right? I mean, imagine that you were in Yaz Mall shopping and heard over the loudspeakers, there's a lion loose in the mall. Please be careful. He's hungry. Ah! Right? I mean, you'd be careful. You'd be watchful. That's okay. Let's just keep shopping. I don't think so. You'd be on the alert. When anxieties arise in your heart, God is saying, be on the alert. Satan's prowling. That anxiety is a problem. So I hope you you never settle for anxiety again, but that you respond to it. Now, one thing I love about the Bible is God doesn't just call us to, to do things, like stop worrying. He tells us how. He tells us how. Have you ever tried to just stop worrying? doesn't work. God tells us how. How can we resist Satan's devouring anxieties? Notice the beginning of verse 9. Resist him. Okay, so the anxiety is rising up. Satan is seeking to devour us with anxieties. Resist him. Okay, how? And in verses 9, 10, and 11, I see three steps that Peter tells us to take. Oh, I wish I would have understood these three steps back then when we got that phone call. But I'm getting them now. And let's all get them this morning. So, first step. We must be firm in our faith. That's verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith. Faith means trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ Jesus. Faith, to be faith has to be clinging to a promise in God's word. All right? So, when you open up the Bible and you find a promises that sp- you find a promise that speaks to your trial, that speaks to your concerns, that speaks to your anxieties, and then when you pray over that promise and say, "Father, help me. I'm not believing this promise right now or if I believed it I wouldn't be worried. I'm worried. I'm not believing this promise." Help me to believe this promise. And you pray over that promise until the Holy Spirit crushes that anxiety, destroys Satan's prowling, destroys the lion, and 
peace and joy even starts to come. So, when I got off the phone with the moving company, it would have been so helpful if I would have sat down at my desk and opened up, like to Isaiah 41, verse 10. I mean, think of how this would have helped me. Where God says, this is Isaiah 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. All these boxes, all this furniture, all this stuff that's not done yet. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, can you feel how powerful that would have been if I would have, hold it, stop. Anxiety's rising up. Dangerous, prowling lion. Open up the Bible, Isaiah 41.10. Resist him, firm in faith. Father, help me to trust this promise. And you pray over the promise word by word until the Holy Spirit strengthens your faith and you know God's for you. This is from God's mighty hand. He's going to take care of everything. Can you feel how that would be helpful? That's step one. Be firm in our faith. Pray over God's promises. Find a promise that pertains to your anxieties and pray over it until anxiety is crushed and peace and joy grow. Now, even as we do that, though, there can be a lingering question in the back of our minds that can still make us anxious. And Peter knows that because Peter's, he's lived this. The question is, why am I suffering? Did I do something wrong here? Maybe God's punishing me. And if God's punishing me, then none of his promises are going to be fulfilled for me because he's punishing me. So promises don't help because, well, it seems like God's punishing me through this trial. So why, why am I suffering so much? It must be that I'm being punished. Anybody else ever raise that question when we go through trials? Uh, yeah, more of you than are acknowledging. Okay. So there's a crucial second step. End of verse 9. Read the whole verse. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing, here's something that's crucial for us to know when we go through suffering, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the second step is understand that all of God's people suffer. You are not alone. You are not unique. All of God's people suffer. Acts chapter 14, Paul preached to churches he had just planted, through many tribulations it is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. The road to heaven goes through trials and suffering and tribulations. If you're experiencing trials and suffering and tribulations, you're on the right road. It's not the wrong road. That's the road Paul said would would be the road to heaven. Knowing that, knowing that God's people suffer, same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So open up to this verse. And pray over this verse until you understand we all go through trials and suffering. This does not mean I'm being punished by God. All of my punishment was poured out upon Jesus. This is God's love and goodness and kindness to me and to all of God's people who suffer. Isn't that powerful? That's the second step. Third step, verses 10 and 11. 
Remember that God will lavishly bless us when Jesus returns. So to resist Satan's devouring anxieties, look at verses 10 and 11. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Take that to heart, brother, sister in Christ. After you have suffered for a little while, just a little while, okay? Heaven's coming. Jesus will return. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he's called you there. He's going to bring you home. He will himself restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. And so to him be the dominion forever and ever. Can you feel the heart-changing power that that verse has? Can you sense how powerful it would be to open up to that verse when you're in the thick of a trial and to pray over that scripture? See, when you face trials, don't just muscle through them. I'll feel better later. Just We've got to get to work here, hon. We don't have time to pray. We've got to pack boxes. No, 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 no. Stop. There's a lion prowling. Stop. And open up to these scriptures and pray over them. I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm weak. Help me. He will always meet you at those times and strengthen your faith through the word. And you will have cast your anxieties upon him, and they won't be on you anymore. Isn't that encouraging? Powerful conclusion to Peter's letter here. Now, he's not finished though yet. He has a farewell here. And no verse in the Bible is just a, well, that's just a farewell. Let's just wrap it up at the end of verse 11. No, 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 no. Every word was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I I looked at these last verses, and I, I just raised the question, How does Peter's farewell give further encouragement for when we go through trials? And I saw three additional encouragements here. See if you see them as well. First one's in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. One one more little encouragement he wants to sneak here into this Farewell. So the first encouragement is that everything Peter's written is the true grace of God, and we should stand in it. The most important truth you can understand from God's word is that in Jesus Christ, God will be gracious to you. We've sinned. We deserve his punishment. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, paying for our sins, God loves you. God cares for you. He delights to do you good, as I mentioned earlier. The grace of God is for you in Christ Jesus. All your sins have been forgiven. Because you're trusting Jesus, you can know all your sins are forgiven, and God is rejoicing over you to do you good. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. When a trial comes, His loving kindnesses haven't ceased. That's part of His loving kindnesses. So stand firm in the grace of God. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I'm forgiven. God loves me. This is part of his goodness to me. I'm going to trust him. 
and you pray over these truths until you do trust him. That's the first encouragement. The true grace of God in Christ Jesus. Second encouragement, verse 13. She who is at Babylon. That's a metaphorical reference to the church at Babylon, which is where Peter is when he's writing this letter. So he's basically saying the church at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son, metaphorically speaking. And notice that phrase, who is likewise chosen. Peter wants to remind them of what he said back in chapter 1. You've been chosen by God. He chose you before you chose him. Powerful. And what Peter wants us to understand here, I believe, is that as surely as God has chosen you for salvation, God will keep you all the way until the end for salvation. As surely as he chose you, he will keep you. He started the good work in you. He changed your heart. He gave you faith. He gave you repentance. And so you can go to him again and again and say, help me, I'm weak, I'm unbelieving, I'm drifting, I'm wandering. Help me, just like you did when you first saved me. Change my heart. And he will, again and again and again. That's the second encouragement. As surely as God has chosen you, he will keep you. One last encouragement, verse 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. That's what they would do back in that time. And then get this last line. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As I pondered that and prayed over that, I think one implication Peter wants us to get is that because you are in Christ... By faith alone, you are in Jesus Christ. The Father will be as devoted to you as he was to Christ. Because you're in Christ, completely forgiven, clothed with his perfect righteousness, the Father will be as devoted to you through this trial as he was to Christ through his trial. So think of how devoted the Father was to Christ. He loved Jesus He strengthened Jesus through his suffering. He sustained Jesus through his suffering. He helped Jesus through his suffering. He raised him from the dead to be with him forever. God was devoted to Jesus through his suffering. There's mystery there. He was punishing him with his wrath, but at the same time by the Spirit sustaining him, sustaining him, keeping him, sustaining him. Now, God doesn't punish us when we're going through trials. That's the difference between Jesus and us. All of our punishment was upon Jesus. But just as devoted as the Father was to Christ, he will be devoted to us. So by faith alone, you are in Christ. And the Father will be as devoted to you as he was to Christ. And so he will love you through this trial. He will strengthen you through this trial. He will sustain you through this trial. He will keep you from stumbling through this trial. He will not let you fall away from the faith through this and every other trial and temptation you face. You are in Christ. He's as devoted to you as he was to Christ. He will keep you and then he will raise you from the dead to be with him forever. He will do that. Nothing can thwart his sovereign plan and good pleasure. He will do that. So, because of all of this that we've seen in these verses, Off Island Church, 
brothers, sisters, when trials come, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Say, yes, Lord. And when that's hard, open up this passage and other passages and pray over these scriptures. He will strengthen you. He will sustain you. He will help you. Let's pray together. Father, we all need help to live this passage. And you stand before us in Jesus Christ with all the help we need. You will always help us when we turn to you and say, help us, help my unbelief, strengthen my faith, crush these anxieties, help me to humble myself before your mighty hand. You will always help us. And so I pray that with every trial, every difficulty, every suffering that comes our way, we will be quick to say, help. And we will turn to you and open your word and pray and let you meet us and free us and fill us and calm us. Do that, Lord, we pray, for the sake of your glory and for the sake of your Son. In Jesus' name. Amen.